I want to invite you now to open your Bible uh, to Luke 18, uh, verses 1 through 8. It's in your bulletin if you don't have it, uh, or you can use the Blue Pew Bible in front of you. Uh, We're in a series on the parables, and this is an amazing parable. I'll tell you right now that this is a parable that I think, among all the parables, that is perhaps the most frequently misapplied and preached in a way that is not what was intended. Remember, parables are shocking. And this is a shocking parable. Parables stick with us. They, they, they begin to just kind of mull over and over in our minds because of the things that we hear and the things that we don't see immediately. Well, this is the parable of contrast. And what happens in it when we really see what Jesus was intending is truly amazing, especially as it influences the way we pray. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 18, beginning at verse one. And he, that's Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for who you are and what you have done in our lives. So grateful that you have blessed us with your holy word. And you have given us the means of grace this day to feed our souls. Your word prayer, the sacraments, fellowship. And so God bless us now. Holy Spirit, reign in this place. Pour out your power, your clarity, your conviction. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now, most of you probably are aware that the first of the boys trapped in the caves are being rescued. Uh, By nine o'clock, four had already come from the cave with the divers who were sent to rescue them. And some of you might not know the story, but for the last 15 days, a group of of young boys, 11 to 16, and their coach, who's in his mid-20s, were trapped in a cave two and a half miles underground from its opening. Um, They were without food, without the needs that they have for a long time, probably most presumed dead, but they were discovered alive, all of them. And since then, that was over a week ago, the search has gone on to try to find out how to get them out. And with the, you know, certain forecast of monsoons, greater rains, they knew that they had to act. It's an amazing thing that we're witnessing right now. I don't want you to pretend you're looking at your Bible app and go to CNN right now and find out if more have been rescued yet. I really don't. I want you to stay stay focused. But I, I begin there because imagine you're a mom or you're a dad, and one of your children are on that soccer team. Now just imagine, when you hear the news for the first time that they went caving, and we don't know where they are. Think about it for a minute. 
you are suddenly induced with profound fear. Fear of what you can't see. Fear of what you think you see. And fear of what you think you might see. That is our life. We are so afraid of the dark because it's dark, we can't see. We are so afraid of the things that we think we see. And then we are actually afraid of the things that we, we do see. And so immediately, the world goes to prayer. Some people praying to the real God. Others praying to something that they think is God. Some just saying prayers, but it's nothing more than powerless, wishful thinking. But the world is watching and longing and hoping that each one of those boys, along with the rescuers, will be saved. One rescuer was already lost earlier this week. It's a treacherous rescue attempt. And that's why we're praying. But imagine you're the mom or you're the dad and there's nothing you can do, nothing. You want to do something. You want to learn how to scuba dive. You want to learn how to put a rope on you and go in a cave. You want to go and find, but there's nothing you can do. That feeling of being powerless gives birth to real anxiety. Anxiety is born out of two things. The reality of living in a broken world, which reveals its bitterness and pain and sadness and sorrow or potential for all of that constantly. And when that is confronted with our very limited ability to do anything about it, we become very anxious. I want to know the condition of my son. I want to know if he is alive. We don't know. And then when they see them, and the news comes out that they're alive. Relief for a moment. How are they going to get them out? What's their condition? I want to see them. I'm afraid of what I can't see. I'm afraid of what I think I see. I'm afraid of what I do see. And that continues to be this onslaught. And so we pray. And prayer is powerful. But how do we pray? And why do we pray? And what does this parable teach us about prayer? I wanna say a couple of things about prayer in general before we move into this parable. First of all, prayer is about communion with God. God gave us means of grace to know him, to know his power, to know his presence. In the world we live in today, all of us worshiping here today have in their possession one of these, probably more than one. If you don't have one, if you're visiting with us and you do not own your own Bible, you come and see me afterwards. I'll make sure you get one. If you're uncomfortable doing that, take the blue one that's right in front of you. It's not stealing, I'm giving you permission. I want you to have it. But for a long, long time, those following God, in fact, throughout most of the history of the church, the people didn't have their Bibles like this. They had oral tradition. They had the truth that had been handed down, but they couldn't just simply open the book or open an app or have multiple 
uh, translations before them. They had the word of God passed on through oral tradition, through the prophets, taught by people, but they didn't have access to it like we have. But one thing they've always had that actually has never changed is prayer. Our accessibility to the word of God has changed so much. The word of God hasn't changed, but our accessibility to it has, but prayer hasn't changed at all. It's the same. God's people talking to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The same God that you prayed to this morning is the same God Moses prayed to. The way in which David prayed to the king is the same way you and I can pray to the king. Isn't that amazing to think about? So prayer is a means of grace in which while praying, which is nothing more than talking to God and listening to God, Prayer is nothing more than talking to God and listening to God. He transforms us by making his presence known, his power known, and his peace. Just remember that. Remembering those things now, let's move towards this very simple story with profound theological truths. First of all, Luke 18, as Luke himself is being carried along by the Spirit, Before he gives us the parable that came from Jesus' mouth, he actually tells us the purpose of this parable. That doesn't happen very often. Luke says at the beginning, he told them a parable to the effect. In other words, this is why he told them this parable. That they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So you can say from the beginning, I know why this parable was given. The New Living Translation says it this way. He told this parable so that they would always pray and never give up. That's my sermon title. Jesus told this parable so that we would always pray and never give up. So we have the purpose of the parable. We have the reason. And then Jesus gives us the parable. First thing I want you to know is that this is a parable of contrast. Jesus paints a picture, and the picture would be shocking to those who heard it for the first time, and it should be shocking to us as well. So he says, in a certain city, there was a judge. So the first thing Jesus is going to do is he's going to describe the judge. He describes the judge as a man who neither feared God nor respected man. This judge in this parable is later going to say, though I neither fear God nor respect man. So don't miss the point. This judge neither feared God nor respected man. This is an evil man. This is an evil judge. If you were bringing a case, a case was coming against you or you were bringing one before a judge, this is the judge you would not want to get because this judge has no compass. This judge has no conviction. This judge is so dark and so lost that he doesn't even feel the shame of people saying, you're evil, you have no compass. I'm sure he heard it all the time, he could care less. He doesn't fear God and he doesn't respect, care about, or love people. That is who this woman is going to. Verse three, Jesus tells us that there is a widow in that city 
who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. A widow in the Old Testament was the most vulnerable. They usually were very poor. And without someone, predominantly a family member, a son, a brother, a father that might still be living to care for them, if there was no male representation in this male-dominated world, they had no one to go before them, no one to petition on their behalf. For that reason, Jesus is showing us a picture of the worst of mankind, somebody who has been given authority, but in that position of authority could care less about God, there's no compass, and actually could care less about the people coming to him. He is extremely evil. Then you have a picture of a woman who is brokenhearted, she's widowed. She is alone before this judge with no representation, impoverished. And what that means is that this woman has no ability to do what is necessary to get the judge to pay attention to her need. Here's why. The most shocking thing about the parable for those listening would be women don't go before judges, not without representation. So the very fact that she is there before this evil judge is the only judge she could go to and speaking out loud is shocking because women didn't do it. And the reason they didn't do it was because the way the judge would decide whether or not he was going to listen to someone's case took place in a shouting match and with whispers that took place before he ruled on anything. And what was taking place in those moments were people trying to get the judge's attention. But the judge would be paying attention only to those who could bring the best bribe. And the best bribe meant it came with lots of money or it came from a person who had power. So power and position is what all those men gathered around would bring. Those who offered the most, either in power or position or both, would receive the ear of the judge and the cases would be ruled on in that priority. That's the scene. And here comes this woman with no power, with no provision, nothing to offer except a voice, a voice pleading, give me justice, have mercy. But he could care less because he doesn't fear God or fear people. And so what does she do? She persists. She persists by speaking over and over and over again, by continuing to make her presence known, not with representation, but just this constant dripping of give me justice against my adversary. And so finally, the judge speaks, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord then says, Jesus, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? And so we hear this parable and I preached and taught this parable wrongly in my earlier days, I confess. And we 
leaves saying, I need to pray like this widow. And the part of the word of God that we actually focus on is actually the uninspired, meaning not God-inspired, but man-inspired title that is above it. And the title above it is the parable of the persistent widow. Now, I'm not saying that's a wrong title because she's being persistent. But the takeaway for us so often is, therefore, I need to pray like this persistent widow. And therefore, I need to go before the God of the universe and just continue to labor before him my petition. It sounds right, doesn't it? I need to have her persistence. Well, let's look at it closely. Yes, Luke told us the reason Jesus told this parable is so that we would always pray. Is there anywhere else in the Bible where it says that? Yes, Paul says, pray without ceasing. So when you read something, you're always trying to understand it in the context that's around it and then beyond, always between the pages of his holy word, the the canon. So yes, we are to be persistent in prayer. We are to pray without ceasing. But the problem is, Jesus did not teach this parable so that we would believe that if we just pray long enough, or we just pray loud enough, or we just say it enough times, if we're just persistent enough, either in our repetition of petition or in our zeal, then finally he will say yes. That's not the point of the parable because our prayers don't bother God. You see what happens, whether we wanna admit it or not, is we might be duped into believing that God has some kind of prayer odometer, some kind of prayer meter is a better word. And he's just waiting for that gauge to get to a certain point. And when that gauge gets to a point based on a person's zeal or persistence, and it hits it, they say, God, yes, now I can answer it. Now I can give justice. That's not our God. And that's the point of the parable. This is a parable of contrast. It's very simple. Pray constantly and never give up. But as you pray, remember, you're not praying to a God who is like this judge. This is a parable of contrast. You're not praying to a God who has no compass. You're praying to the God who is the compass. You are not praying to a God who doesn't care about his creation. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, teach us how to pray, Lord, he did. And he ended that teaching by saying, this is the position of God the Father, Abba. And he describes our father as daddy. God that we are praying to, the true God, is not like this unjust judge. He is not suddenly going to answer a prayer because he's gotten tired of your constant begging or petitioning. That's not who he is. He's the exact opposite. But here's something else that's even, I wouldn't say more amazing, but just as amazing. 
You're not widowed. You're not orphaned. You're not like this woman who has no representation. You're not like this woman who has no power. You're not like this woman who has no position. You have the power of the Son of God, who right now is reigning as our King, living to intercede on our behalf. And before you and I even utter a word and the Holy Spirit moves within those words, he knows those prayers. And he is the one taking those words to the Father. He's not shouting louder because we shout louder. He's not praying more often because we're suddenly praying more often. He is our representation. You're not widowed. You're not orphaned. You belong to the living God. And because of that, in the great broken world we live in, he is saying, come to me. Cast all your anxiety on me because I care for you. If you need to continue to pray the same thing over and over again, come, my dear child. But just saying it over and over again is not necessary for me to care for you. I'm not waiting for your faith to get to a certain place on the gauge so that then I will act. Is faith required? Yes, faith is required. The writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because whoever comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who are earnestly seeking him. But it's simple belief. I believe, but I often pray, help my unbelief. God hears that prayer, and he does. He's not waiting for you to be persistent enough like this evil judge who simply got bothered and said, give her justice. His justice was perfected on the cross of Jesus as it was poured out on his son who would be the voice louder than our voice, more perfect than our voice could ever be, going before God the Father, Abba, interceding on our behalf. God is not the evil judge. You are not widowed. You are not orphaned. Therefore, pray always. Pray always and never give up. Lord, I love your word. We do love your word. And we love, Lord Jesus, that you're the word and that your voice even now is being heard by the Father as you intercede for all of us. We thank you that we call you Abba. And whatever burdens are on our hearts this day, enable us, Holy Spirit, to bring them to you praying constantly, without ceasing, and never giving up. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.